So this night at, I think it was three o'clock in the morning, I woke up from this dream that I've had many times before. I was a bit disoriented. It was super warm in my room. We are going through a, a bit of a heat wave, like right now as I'm recording this, it's 29 degrees Celsius, it's 84 Fahrenheit. Thankfully, there's a little bit of a breeze that uh, helps with the oppressive heat. But in my bedroom, it's a very small bedroom, it is very warm. And, and so I think I've been tossing and turning all night long. And then at three o'clock in the morning, I wake up and I remember exactly what I just dreamt. I'm at this airport, this massive airport. Maybe it's Atlanta, maybe it's Detroit. It's an American airport that I've never been to before. And I am running around. I'm trying to find the gate and I'm trying to find my way to the gate. But the only thing I know is that I have a plane to catch and it's about to leave without me because I keep bumping into obstacles. Um, I, I, I try to go through security and then there's something wrong with my luggage. So they open up the luggage and everything has to be taken out and evaluated. And I have to explain that the equipment that I have on me is to make my vlogs and my podcasts. And then they doubt that. And it just takes forever to get through security. And then I get to the wrong part of the airport. And all of a sudden I see that there are lots of flights going to... Um, Eastern Europe and to the Emirates and it, it's my flight is not there no matter how how often I look at the the gate numbers I, I cannot find my particular gate even though I was sure it had to be in this part of the airport and then I try to get to the other part of the airport and people stop me and they need my help for stuff and they start entire conversations and then I'm trying to be polite and I try to help and at the same time in the back of my mind the clock is ticking and I'm thinking you know what I'm gonna miss that flight and I wake up at that moment in the middle of this never-ending journey to my gate to this particular flight that I have to catch and I never catch my flight it's also I never miss it either I'm always in in this in-between state of entering the airport and, and arriving at my gate, then there are thousands of obstacles in my way. And uh, so at three o'clock in the morning, I wake up, I'm super tired, and my brain is like um, going in all directions. And it's, it's Physically, I was tossing and turning because of the heat, but my brain also is jumping back and forth and I'm wide awake. So I go down the stairs, I drink a big glass of water because I'm totally dehydrated. But instead of calming me down, that actually just increases my brain activity. And all of a sudden I, I realize that I'm no longer thinking about that dream, but I'm thinking about a meeting that was planned for this morning. It's a meeting that... Uh, uh, was asked for by a couple of the parishioners here at this location where I live. And it was a follow-up meeting to a brainstorm session that we had, I think, last year in November. It was towards the end of the year with a larger group where I was invited to 
talk a little bit about uh, my vision for the renewal of that location, for things that they could do to attract more people, to reach younger people. Questions that are very important for a lot of parishes, a lot of churches in general, is how can we build a bridge? Because right now it's not there, but how can we build a bridge between this current situation of our parish and the future? Is there a future for us? Can only There can only be a future if we manage to be relevant to people, especially be relevant to the younger generation. And so back then we talked about a lot of things and I gave them, most of the time, just gave them um, examples. I told them stories of uh, situations that I had seen either in my own previous parish or um, during one of my trips. So I talked about some of the stuff that I saw in American parishes and um, told some stories about what I saw in a parish in Boston, what I witnessed in in L.A., in Los Angeles, in a parish that was uh, 100% involved in helping uh, homeless people, immigrants, uh, people that didn't speak the language, didn't uh, know how to how to get around. Um, and, and so a, a, a beautiful combination of both a very flourishing um, city parish in the center of the city and um, next to all the liturgies and the masses, there was also this huge effort to help people where they are and to even even um, organize health care for people that didn't have any health care. So doctors would come there pro bono to help, etc. I told that story. Um, I, I I talked about what I saw in Boston in uh, uh, Father Heinz Parish, um, where there was a, a mass for for children and for families. And what impressed me very much was that the kids did everything. They were put in charge of organizing everything, um, announcing, doing the collection, uh, to be the sacristans. Adults didn't have to do anything that morning. And I loved how they empowered that young generation instead of doing things for them to let them take the lead and thereby introducing them into the parish life in a very natural way and in a way that they actually enjoyed. I'm here at this open spot in the woods and I'm going to follow the path that is in the shade because I don't want to get a sunburn. I didn't put on any uh, uh, any sun cream because I just didn't want to mess with all the stickiness. That's one of the downsides of, uh, of, of protecting yourself from the sun. It's well, Everything gets oily and sticky, and especially if I'm walking around with, uh, with microphones. <laughs> I just don't like it. So instead, I have to be very careful to stay in the shade. Thankfully, there are some big trees here uh, that offer a bit of protection to the direct sun. And then I'll just follow the curve in this path. Well, actually, I can go through the heather. There's a small path here that will lead me even faster to another entry point to the to the woods. Um, I told some stories about uh, the parish that I came from and how in one of the village locations 
They knew that their days would be counted unless they were able to reinvent themselves. And so um, they, they started to create a path that would help people that were not familiar with uh, the life of the church and the liturgy to be introduced into the life of the church by all sorts of extracurricular activities, as it were. So instead of... Um, so oftentimes there wouldn't be a Mass in the morning because we didn't have enough priests for all the parish locations um, on Sundays. And so instead they would still invite people to come over to the church, but then instead of having a Mass, they would go for a walk together. And during that walk they would talk about the Gospel. And then they would come back to the church and, and um, pray in the church, light some candles. Um, it, it would continue to nourish that community that otherwise would probably disintegrate very quickly. And then they start building on that, creating activities for for kids, for busy parents, so they could bring their children to church and they could experience an adventure in the parish garden. They would um, turn the Bible readings into uh, um, some kind of a, a, like a discovery quest where they had to search for things and answer questions and there would be quizzes and um, they would call that Sunday Adventure Time. And it worked. And so I told all these examples and uh, that got the people here excited and thinking because they too had a desire to come up with new ideas, to go beyond the limitations of their current approach, which, as is the case in many parishes today only reaches an older public that is very familiar with the life of the church has been raised in a tradition that on Sunday you go to church but they also see with their own children and grandchildren that that is no longer the case and so they they realize that that um, another trajectory uh, needs to be created another path that leads to the, to faith and to the church. And so um, after that, I, just, I dropped some ideas. That's basically what I did. I told some stories. And then for months, I didn't hear back from that until just a few weeks ago where they asked me, hey, can we have another meeting? Because we would like to do this with you. We would, we would like to give you space to... Um, come up with some ideas and we'll support that and immediately of course I I was triggered and uh, I got enthusiastic because it's something that I know is is very difficult to do in the context of the regular parish activities um, and a lot of the renewal that is currently uh, being implemented here in the parish centers around the main church in Wageningen and the other big church in Ede, and uh, they do a lot of uh, more catechetical um, development. So the, there's the Alpha course where people can get a first introduction into the faith of the Catholic Church, and then um, they learn how to pray, how to share together, and that's wonderful. But um, it's still very much... Uh, built on the foundation of regular church life. Um, and it may be still a bit 
difficult for people that have no connection with the church who, if you are a child right now, you have parents that never went to church after their first communion. Um, a proposition like that is, um, is already way beyond what you think you may want to do. And so I feel that there is, there is definitely more to do um, but it has to be um, it has to be conducive to the other activities I, you don't want to create something that is parallel to the current life of the parish of the church you don't want to create something that just replaces that altogether because what you want is to bring people together and to create a, a growth path where People will grow in their faith and they can start with baby steps, literally. <laughs> you have to do stuff for, for young children. But then you need to make sure that that is a path that leads all the way to um, a, solid, a solid life in faith in the church. Um, and I think there, there, there are a, a lot of things that you could do. But... It all depends, of course, on bandwidth. Do parishes actually have the time to and the and the manpower to uh, to to do this and to to develop this? So when they came to me, telling me like here in this location, we we think we can help, but help us to think about more specific things that we could set up. And so somehow. When they asked me for that meeting, it triggered my creativity and I started thinking, but what? And how, what is my role in this? Um, and I just, I couldn't figure it out. I have been thinking for days and days, sometimes I would go for long walks or long runs, thinking about this for hours and I just couldn't come up with this one idea that would work. Hence, I think the dream that with that in mind, this, this, this pondering, this, you know, going back and forth in my mind about what, what is my role? What, what can I, how can I help? What is the best way forward for this particular situation? Um, can this potentially also help me in my mission? Or can I, with my mission, help them in their mission? Um, and I think the dream reflected that, where um, I was just tossing <laughs> back and forth and uh, not really, f f not, not finding the gate, the right gate. I was constantly in the process of getting there, but I felt like I'm, I'm getting nowhere because every time I, I, I get bogged down by all the other stuff that I'm working on and I, I will never reach this gate. I went back to bed in, uh, eventually and I did manage to sleep. In fact, I completely slept through the, the alarm, woke up at nine o'clock and I was a bit panicked. It's like, wow, it's nine o'clock. I, yeah, I think I... I slept a total of eight hours, if you add it all up, but I could tell on my health app that my watch was also, um, uh, did register all these times during the night that I'd been awake. 
but the people would arrive at 10. So I had one hour to try to, to wake up and I was broken. I was so tired. And um, this is where the morning routine that I, I think I shared with you last week um, really helped. I've been trying this for a couple of days now and um, I'm sold on it. So what I did was I know first thing, not coffee. I have to make sure I drink coffee an hour after I wake up, but not now. If I do this, then I'll crash later on. Let's get back into the woods. So I was walking alongside the, the road here. The other thing I've learned in this morning ritual is try to get direct sunlight in your eyes because that will start the process of, of waking up. I don't know the, the terms for it. But I so, and I didn't want to go out for a walk because I only had one hour. So I felt like, you know, I don't have time to go for a walk. How can I catch sunlight? Well, there was still no sunlight in, um, in my backyard. So instead I walked on the balcony and I stared at the sun. Well, of course I didn't look into the sun because that would damage my eyes. <coughs> but I looked in the direction of the sun so you get all the reflections and etc. And I stayed there for about 10 minutes. All the while, of course, thinking, what am I going to propose? I still don't know. They're coming here. There's all this expectation that I have ideas, but I don't have any idea. Well, I have a thousand ideas, but I don't know what is the right flight path. What is my, what is our gate? I don't know. Um, so for about 10 minutes, I was soaking up the sun, literally. And... Then I, um, what did I do next? I think I, I first had a bit of breakfast, very simple breakfast, usually um, two sandwiches and uh, an egg, sunny side up, just to give me some protein um, so I won't get hungry during the morning. And then I took, that's another thing that I've been expanding upon, I took an, an, a cold shower. That is... I do this in phases because um, it takes time for your body and for your mind to get used to these cold showers. Um, so what I do is when I open the faucet, uh, first of all, there's w cold water coming out. It is connected to a warm water system, but it takes about 30 seconds for that warm water to reach the shower head. But what I do is I turn it on and I immediately step under uh, under it so you get this splash of cold water where I go at first like a couple of days ago I was still like <gasps> it starts to hyperventilate I can already tell that now after doing this for a couple of days I no longer have that shock reaction it's still cold but then very quickly it turns warm so I wash my hair um, a couple of minutes and then I turn the the water back to cold ice cold and I try to stay under the shower under a cold shower first for 30 seconds I literally count down from 30 to 0 then a few days later I managed to stay under it for one minute and now I am standing under this ice cold shower for two minutes and then I step out and it's an amazing thing that happens on a physical level, level, it's a physiology. Um, I don't shiver. 
I, I do feel the cold, but I, I don't, it doesn't feel cold. <laughs> I don't know how to explain this. So you know that you are um, standing under ice-cold water, but it doesn't, you, I don't experience that as, as, as unpleasant. In fact, after about a minute, my body starts to feel warm instead of cold. And you get this, I don't know, there, there are, um, I feel stimulated. My heart starts to beat a bit faster or maybe stronger, but I become more aware of my heartbeat. And I'm taking these very deep, long breaths. I'm like breathing in, breathing out, trying to um, get my breathing under control as much as I can. And then after two minutes, I step out of the out of the the water and I feel so much energy at that moment and uh, more than just energy I also feel joy and there is a certain I I smile when I step out of the shower (laughs) and that's when I get down and I started to prepare coffee and then the three parishioners um that I had a meeting with uh, were at the front door. So I had my first cup of coffee with them. Let's see, where can I go? If I go there, there is a path on my right, but it's not in the shade. Currently I walk here with the sun in my back, but I don't want it to burn <laughs> in my neck. I have a, I'm wearing a, a baseball cap, but of course that does not protect the back of my, of my head. Ooh, what was that in the in the border here? You've got uh, right now. You you have these. Um, they look like small snakes. They actually aren't snakes. They're a type of worm or something like that. It's really bizarre because they they do s- look like small rattlesnakes, but they're harmless. They cannot bite. Um, and sometimes when it's hot like this, they will be in the on the sides of the of the of the path in the grass and you you can hear them in the because they they ruffle the the dry leaves and you and then all of a sudden you see them uh twirling in front of you it's the first time i was really scared it's like ah, a snake but then i learned no it's not a snake uh, there are snakes though here and even wolves i've heard <laughs> so this these woods are getting more and more adventurous every every week which is kind of cool because that that makes it less artificial. <laughs> this is a natural uh, reserve, so it is protected. But for decades, we didn't have that many, you know, wild animals here. But um, the, our attitude in the Netherlands towards this kind of landscape is changing, and so we're opening things up. And now we have wolves that are starting to appear in the woods. Most of the time, of course, not dangerous. Oh, we're finally in the shade. What a difference that makes. Ooh, nice, nice, nice. Here we've got two small paths. One, that one may be a bit too small. I'll just go to the right here. Oh, that is a five, six degrees difference here if I walk in the shade or in the sun. So, um, what was I talking about? (laughs) The meeting. Anyway, so, uh... And it's funny that the moment we sat down and we had our first cup of coffee. Oh, yeah. So the coffee then, uh, if you drink that, 
after an hour, it then it works at full strength. And, um, and so I'm still, I think, thriving on those two cups of coffee that I had with the parishioners. And I don't think I need any coffee for the rest of the day. This has been really helpful um, over the past week because of the high temperatures. I have barely slept more than six hours uh, per night. And normally that would be devastating to my productivity. But since I am taking these cold showers, I can make sure I get that sunlight. If possible, I also go out for a short run or a walk or a bike ride. That combination is uh, dynamite for my overall alertness during the day. So I was um, actually in very good shape when I was sitting there. And I also all of a sudden knew what I wanted to share with them. And I want to kind of take you through that process. Uh, the first thing I realized was, um, this is not about me. In a sense that this is, for, for a while I've been thinking, well, maybe I could bring back a Mass in English and we could stream that and we could install the cameras in, in this church and maybe do an international celebration like we did in my previous parish. And I'm pretty sure that uh, there would be an audience for that and that this parish would be supportive. But I also realized that that, in a certain way, would be answering a question that no one asked. <laughs> there already is an international mass in the parish on Sunday. Um, what I did was uh, motivated by the fact that because of the pandemic, a lot of people couldn't come to church. And so for about a year and a half, uh, the Mass that I was streaming was helping uh, a certain number of people to still nourish their faith. Once the pandemic was over, people started to return to their own, to their own communities. And we realized, and I still remember that was about a year ago, I think, not even a year ago, that I was, uh, it was on a Sunday. Oh, wait, there are some trees here. <sighs> blocking the road. Let me just climb over these. There, there used to be just one tree. Now there are several that have fallen down and they're, I think they're being left here. Oh my gosh, there's like another huge tree. Um, and they leave them here so they um, start to rot and slowly disintegrate. I had to climb quite a bit here. Anyway, so... Um, the uh, uh, I was at the zoo, I think, on a Sunday afternoon when I realized uh, that it would be rather pointless to continue that streaming mass um, because only five, six people would be present and then half of them would already go to their local churches anyway. Um, but th that was a very good experience. I really loved being able to share that liturgical aspect of my life as a priest and to share my homilies in English with you or with um, my international followers, it, it's something I really enjoyed and I miss it from time to time. I'm thinking uh, I'm, I'm spending a lot of time creating videos with commentary on Star Wars and uh, recording the walk, etc. But um, a lot of what I do in the media is um, is 
quite remote from what I actually do most as a priest, which is celebrating Mass and preaching and praying. Um, so, uh, so at first, I was thinking, well, maybe we can bring that back. And then this morning I knew, um, no, that, that would, that's not what is, what is required here. What I can do is to help this, this location in the parish to find, uh, to, to help to discern what the Holy Spirit wants these people to do in this particular situation. So the first thing I need to do is to um, chart with them what are the strengths, what is the character of this particular location in the whole of the parish. All right, I have to turn to the left here because if I continue, that's going to be the backyard of this private garden from uh, people and they have a swimming pool in the woods. I cannot imagine how cool that must be, especially when it's warm like this, to be able to swim among the trees. However, I don't think anyone is swimming there. It's a beautiful pool, but nobody's using it. Oh, well... Maybe the people are a bit older and it's only for when their grandkids are coming over. Who knows? I wouldn't mind chatting with them and see if I can get a key to that swimming pool. <laughs> oh, wow. Another tree. Oh, just step on it and off. That is a big tree. All right. The path is getting narrower and narrower. I don't think many people walk here. So when I get back home, I will have to check my legs for ticks. Because this is the time of year they are waiting for me to drop on my, onto my shoes and then climb their way up and bite in my knees or something like that. Um, anyway, so uh, the, the particular, I think, grace of this, this location is um, that it was... It started as a missionary church. In the 50s, no one here in the village was Catholic, except for a few immigrants, <laughs> people from the Netherlands that just bought a house in, in, in that town uh, because they worked at the university or elsewhere in the region. And uh, most of the village was um, pretty, um, pretty much, you know, hardcore Protestantism, there are lots and lots of Protestant churches in, in this one village. Um, some of them are really like diehard Calvinist churches. Um, and so at one point, these Catholics, um, well, they would like to get together in their own town for Mass. And so another parish, I think in Elst, which is not even currently part of this parish, uh, they decided to help this village, or the, the, the Catholics of this village. And so they built this church. They raised money, built this uh, church in the 50s. Rather cheap, rather simple church, but that's how this started. And so the, what you can still feel in this community is that um, the, big, the big quality of this community is that they, um, they're very social that's how they got started. They, they, they didn't live next to one another. They had to come together for this project to build this church. And that is what created the, the heart 
of this particular uh, location and community. So I said, always go back. If you want to innovate, always go back to your roots. How did this place got started? What was the, the strength of that first community that built this church, started from scratch? And can we reconnect with that? Because we are in a certain way on the threshold of yet another missionary challenge where we have this gaping abyss between the older generation that still comes to church on Sunday and the generation of their kids and grandchildren that are no longer doing that. And so don't grow up with all these Catholic traditions, uh, with the language, with the songs and the music and the culture of the Catholic Church. So in a certain way, you have to start from scratch. What can we learn from that generation that built this church? And so I shared this morning that for me, the big element that has to be a part of this renewal effort is a communion, is uh, this social bond of friendship. And, uh, and that should not just be a side product. It should be at the heart of whatever you're going to do. Every act, new activity should focus on bringing people together so that they know each other, especially for young people. That is super important because they often are alone in church. Parents, young parents, they have their challenges. Uh, they, their children are going to school in, in different schools. There are a number of, of primary schools here. But bring these parents together let these children play together and that's when over time if you do that for a couple of years you will create the community that will then be open for more without that social connection you won't make it because we no longer have that perception that you have to go to church on sunday otherwise you are <laughs> Uh, living in a state of sin it's that may still be uh, formally the case in in the theology of the church but this is not how people experience this you have to you have to offer them something that they can't find elsewhere and friendship is something that we all need so you know that there's always a demand for friendship how can you do something that will bring people together and how do you connect that with what the church is all about? And that is friendship with God as a family. So as always, we find each other. But in that encounter, we need to place God at the heart. But you cannot place God in the center without that social connection. So it's, it's, uh, those are the kinds of the principles that I try to explain. What for me was more important than exactly what are we going to do that? It's, it's what is our ultimate goal? What is the purpose of this effort? Um, it's not survival. If it's survival, then we might as well stop. Because there are no... Oh, wow, that's... I thought it was a horse. <laughs> Instead, it was a, it's a lady who is uh, walking her dog in the distance. But I saw her in between the branches of the trees, and I thought it was a big white horse without a rider that was approaching me. Which is also possible. There are areas here in nature where you have these wild horses. And that's normally... Uh, I don't try to get too close to these wild horses. I love horses, but, um, you know, if they are startled, um, they can be dangerous. And there's a little doggy here, too. 
It's very hot, apparently. Hello. <laughs> ja, hoe is het? Ik ben hier nog met een microfoon. Ja, ik ben wat aan het opnemen voor de podcast. Dan ga ik altijd een wandelingetje maken. Dus, ja, geniet ervan. Ja, gaat het met de hitte? Houdt het hondje het een beetje vol? Ja, die kiest zijn eigen weg. Ik zie het wel. Ja. Gaat hij even stilzitten. Hoe heet hij? Luna. Luna? Ja. Maar het is een mannetje. Ze komt uit Roemenië. Oh, ze? Uit Roemenië? Een Oh, wat leuk. Ja. Oh. Dus ik, het is echt zo'n weggooihondje. Ja, 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 ja. Ik heb altijd Hollands gefokte honden gehad. Mm-hmm. En toen, ik vond het nu echt een keer tijd dat ik eens iets goed ging doen. <laughs> dus mijn laatste hondje had ik uit Polen. Uh, en dat was een spaniertje. Was ook, oh, toen hadden we een Pools pleeggezin. Ja. En die hebben daarvoor gezorgd. En er was een nestje met spaniertjes uh-huh. geboren. En als ze dan bijgevoerd moeten worden, hebben ze het niet. Ja, 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 ja. Dus dan gaan ze in de emmer water. Oh. En toen hebben ze er een voor mij gered. Ja. En het was ook een heerlijk hondje. Maar dit is <laughs> zo'n ongelooflijke lieverd. Ja. Dat kun je niet voorstellen. Hij vraagt om niks. Oh, sorry, sorry, zo'n lachje op het gezicht. Ja. Hey Luna. Hey Luna. Ja, hey Luna. How are you doing? How are you doing? Yes. Ja, ik ben het liefste knuffeltje. Maar ja. hij drinkt zich nooit op. Nee, maar ik zie het. Aie vindt hij heerlijk. <laughs> dus, Schattig. Uh, ja, ik Hartstikke weet ook niet mooi. wat het verleden gehad heeft. Nee, ik maar... Ik denk... Hey, hey buddy, hey. What is that? That smells weird. <laughs> He's wagging his, his tail. Oh, now he wants to be cuddled. Yeah, you like your cuddles. You like your cuddles. Oh, <laughs> she's in love. <laughs> ja, honden en, en poezen. Honden en poezen, ik vind het allemaal super schattig. Hartstikke mooi. Ik ga weer verder met mijn wandelingetje. Bye bye. Bye Luna. Bye bye. <laughs> This is one of my parishioners. And she, um, she said, I've always had Dutch breeds as dogs. And then um, now that I'm a little bit older, I wanted to do something for the less fortunate dogs. And so she saved a Polish dog, she told me. And there was a, a, a nest with young dogs and If there's not enough food for them, they'll just drown the puppies. Um, and so she heard about that and she's like, give me one of those dogs. I will take care of it. And this is her second dog. This is a Romanian dog. Also, you know, unknown breed. It's a small dog. And she says, she, she's called Luna. She called her Luna. And she says, this is such a, a sweet dog. Loves cuddles. <laughs> but never forces herself upon to, you know. She, and that's what I what I saw. So she sniffed at my microphone, and then uh, she was just enjoying the cuddles that I gave her. <laughs> oh, it's so funny. Anyway, um, where was I? Let's see. Oh, I know where I am here. This is the triangle spot where we often run. Nice, so I know the way back home. I like that. Um, so the the social friendship and then connecting that to God, that is, I think, the way forward. Um, and then we started to think about um, what is it, what could help bring people together? And um, and then I just go in this free free flow. Uh, stream of conscience mode. It's usually when I, when I uh, <clears throat> start to think about possibilities, I just, 
let my my imagination take over. And so I told a few more examples of what I've seen elsewhere. And I said, well, well let's let's think about it here. What one of the things that I believe you need to do if you want to bring people together is, of course, that they know <clears throat> that you are organizing something for them. So communication is vital in this process. So even before you know what you're going to do, you have to make sure that, that, how, how, that the question, how do we communicate this? Um, how do we reach the people that we want to invite? That that is always on your agenda. This is part of the thought process that I'm currently also involved in, and that is to develop this, ultimately develop this course for churches, parishes, individuals, how to share your message. So my communication experience um, and what I've tried out and where I failed and where I succeeded, I think um, gives a lot of um, hopefully useful material for people that uh, want to improve their communication. And so here it was, um, for me it was very clear all of a sudden that one of the things that you need to do um, if you want to reach people today here in the Netherlands is in, instead of tr just trying to reach them with a website or newspaper articles, words, you need to send a message vis visually. You, you have to project your identity and your mission. It has to be visible and touchable. You need to encounter it in the day-to-day -day life. Uh, because the words, there are so many words. News articles, we are bombarded with news. We spend hours of our day doom-scrolling through all these articles that demand our attention. Um, the, the chances that you reach people with your message only through words uh, or through a website uh, or, or, or even a podcast nowadays are so slim because the competition is massive. Instead, if you can, um, if you can show people instead of telling them who you are, and this is a bit what Jesus does when he first meets his apostles uh, on the beach, he tells them when they ask, ask him, where are you going? He tells them, come and see. He brings them along. And he shows them what he does. And that gets them excited. That's how they learn. It's by example. And of course, Jesus does take time to explain things and to tell stories. But the first thing that happens is an encounter on the beach... Every time he meets people, that's where it starts. They don't read about him, but they meet him. And he goes to people. And, and, and he is there where they are. Um, when, when he finds a beggar on the side of the road or someone with leprosy, etc., he goes towards them, he touches them, and he, is, he makes himself part of their world instead of the other way around. Jesus first goes to the beach and he walks along all these fishermen's boats and maybe talks to them a bit about their work, about their life. And only then, when he has established that first contact, he invites them all. Now I want to show you what I do. 
come along if you want. And he, it's up to them. They can follow or they, they can also choose to not do that. And there are certain people that Jesus encounters where, well, they, they like the rich young man, you know? He's like, man, I've got so many responsibilities. I, I, I can't do that. And then Jesus is like, okay, that's fine. It's, it's very hard for someone who's attached to so much to let go and to follow. That's okay. Um, but if you want to be my, my apprentice, my disciple, you have to follow me. You have to go where I go. You have to be. I want you to be where I am. Um, and so this discipleship starts with an encounter and with a friendship and trust based on on v- things that you can v- visibly show um and so i took that as a as a guideline so um if people now walk past this church what do they see and uh they w- were pretty unanimous so like, yeah that's the problem you know everything we do is you have to already go over the threshold you have to be inside to see what we do. On the outside, you see um, the front of the church, and there's this massive, um, well, massive, it's actually quite a big square in front of the church. Let me go to the left here. I'm going to walk on the biking lane because I was walking on in the sand where the horses normally walk. That's a bit, that's fatiguing. <laughs> Um, so I said, what, what, what strikes me is that the, the only thing you see here is a parking lot. This square in front of the church is used every single day, except on Sundays and when there's a funeral, as a, a universal general parking lot for people that go to the local supermarket. And, and, it, and it's completely organized uh, for cars. There used to be trees on the square in front of the church, um, but they 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 uh, they got rid of them because they could create more places for cars. And I think so. I told them this is for me already an issue. That if I if I tell people when I go to my running group, for instance, they sometimes ask me, oh, "So what do you do in your day to day life?" And then I I tell them that I. I, I work for the church as a priest and I live next to the church in Benicom and then they're like, really, is that a church in the center? And, uh, and I say, no, it's the other church, like uh, near the, the roundabout. And, and then they almost always say, oh, that parking lot, is that a church? They don't even recognize it as a church because it doesn't have a tower. So I'm, I, I, I said, I, it's just one of the things that always bugs me a bit when I come back from a, uh, a run or a, a bike ride when I get home it's just this massive you know space that is completely stone and dry and and uh, why don't we use this square this is big surface that we have to bring people together why not turn it into a park we we complain that young people are not coming to church. But if you look at the other side of the street, on the other side of our parking lot, um, and again, it's not a parking lot for the church. It's a parking lot because most parishioners will come here either 
walking or on a bike. There are only a few old elderly people that are brought here by car, but most people will always come here on, on a bike. Very different from the United States or other big countries where, of course, a church uh, is, depends on a parking lot because there's no other way to get to church than by car. Um, let's see, I'm going to go to the left here. Wow, it's warm. This is the Windmill Creek Road, if I, if I um, translate that in, into English. The Molenbeekweg. So I, I guess that there was a, a windmill here and uh, maybe also a, a, a creek or a, some water. Um, none of that is left here. It's just a road. So... Um, the uh, the if you look on the other side of the road, next to our church, there is this park, and it's got these. I show this to Stephen. Stephen from San Diego. He visited me a few days ago. He was uh, uh, traveling Europe for work, and so uh, last Friday he uh, he came over by train from Amsterdam, and. Um, uh, we uh, rented a, an extra bike and so we showed him the surroundings and I, I told him in this park next to the church uh, uh, we have these wonderful cherry trees and so in in the springtime you'll have that cherry blossom that rivals Japan you know it's absolutely stunning so gorgeous but now when the now that the trees have regular leaves there are benches and Young people and kids are sitting there all day long, especially during the weekend. And they chat, and they're very well behaved. This is a, a very calm village, so there's, there's not much going on in terms of like uh, noise or yelling or shouting. No, these are just young people that like to sit there. And I said, so where are the young people? They are sitting. They know where they would rather sit. You know, not in church. They want to sit there in the park under the tree. Why don't we use that? Why don't we create, turn this, instead of having a parking lot, why don't we turn this into a small park with benches, maybe even tables, where people can sit and meet each other? And then, especially when the weather is nice, like now, you could open the doors of the church. And if people want to go inside the church and light a candle or pray or listen to music, oh, says another one of these parishioners, what we could do is to... Uh, I, I've seen this in France and in, in countries when I'm on vacation. You enter a cathedral or a church and there is this soft like organ music or, or chant. In, and they play this music and it makes such a difference in, in how you experience the building. Um, it will... We can, we can do that. We have a sound system. We could play some music in the church. And I was like, yeah. And, but then you would need people to for surveillance and... And then I was like, well, we can find solutions for that. There are ways maybe to fence off part of the church and create a space. In, there is, you cannot do that right now. But you could create an open space in the back of the church near the entry where you, 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 you create a space where people can, can kneel or, or pray and then see the rest of the church as well. But to create this open this flow almost where you show to anyone who passes the church that this is a, a place of encounter instead of a parking lot for polluting cars. 
I know I'm a bit, that sounds a bit, uh, how do you say that? <laughs> Maybe too, uh, too radical, but in a sense, you know, uh, what is the future uh, if we want to preserve our planet? It is a different means of transportation. So why don't we just take the lead in that as a, as a church community and show people that well, we are a church of people that walk, or bike, and we will figure out ways for the elderly who can only come here by car. But this doesn't need to be a parking lot. That's not why we are here in this village. And so, and then I said, you know, the entrance to the church um, is a bit, it's a raised platform. And um, so there's a bit of a, a corridor before you go through the doors of the church. And if you, the first thing I, that, I, that I associated it with was a stage. It looks like a stage. So what if on a nice summer evening like this, on a Saturday, you take the church outside of the doors and you, you, either you celebrate something on that stage or maybe you have a sing-along sing or something. Uh, you could do a passion play. In, in my previous parish, uh, my, my, my watch is very chatty today. I don't know why. Oh, my, I closed my move ring. That's good news. <laughs> so um, in my previous parish, they had um, created a passion play for kids with kids. The kids would play all the disciples of Jesus and the, the, the guards and Pontius Pilate, etc., I said, I bet you that if you would do something like that and you pre-announce it in the news, local newspapers, people would come and watch that. Um, but in order to do so, you need to use that square in front of the building, in front of the church, as part of your plans. I have to integrate it all and make sure that every there is a garden around the church, which they've they um a couple of years ago rearranged and they call it now a meditation garden or something like that problem is no one goes there because it's not it's not visible people don't know that there is this garden and they wanted to create a, a space where people could be in nature but i'm thinking that the problem is when you see the building the church it's all parking lot so you don't associate that with so that is a place where i can uh, relax and connect with nature. No, people would be here in the woods where we are walking right now. <laughs> you don't need the church for that. So maybe you should also rethink that. Maybe if every once in a while you create, you do something for kids. I love that idea of a an adventure, adventure time in the weekend where you will uh, use that garden for play and for so that kids can discover and then you you can always end in the church and none of this of course is meant to replace mass or be like a parallel church but this is these are the early beginnings of a community that gets to know each other has relevancy for people today and and then from that communion from that friendship will ultimately and i'm certain of that grow the desire to celebrate together and to celebrate liturgy. So whatever you do, I think will ultimately, if you know that, if that's part of your mindset, this is ultimately the goal of this is to create communion and friendship amongst us here in this village, but also a communion with God. We ultimately 
want to lead people to Jesus, then I'm sure that that will happen. As long as you make it possible for people to go from outside to inside. And as, much, and as long as you motivate the churchgoers to go from the inside of the church to the outside, literally what the word mass means, mission, then I think that is supposed to work. A church that doesn't grow is a church that is sick and is literally ill, has anemia, or uh, it's not normal for a church to not grow. And the thing is that today we have gotten so accustomed to a church that is stagnant and is losing the battle with modernity, as some people would frame it, and they would blame it on the the, the people that no longer believe in um, and that refused to come. It's, it's, uh, it's putting the blame on actually the victims of our own inability to be the church that Jesus wants us to be. If Jesus tells his apostles, go to the ends of the world and teach them, why do we think that we can just, just sit in church on Sunday and that's enough for when, when it comes to faith? We don't need to, need, need to do anything outside of that. That is totally not what the gospel is showing us. And in the Acts of the Apostles and in the letters, you see that uh, if there's one common trait of all these early followers of Jesus, is that they were always getting out of their comfort zone. They would travel the world. They would talk to people, found communities, develop initiatives. And some of them worked and flourished. And sometimes even St. Paul it, many of his efforts failed. And that's not a problem. Um, because it just means that you have to try again. Or you have to try it differently. And Paul had to learn that. Um, he used to be super in control, right? He, he was uh, very important when he was back then, when he was still called Saul. He had a lot of power and leverage. And he could just force people to follow the rules and to do what he said. Now that he's become an apostle thanks to his encounter with Christ, um, he also experiences the powerlessness that is basically the same powerlessness of the one that he's following, of Jesus, who has no power over people. Yes, he has power to heal, to feed, but he has no power to make people follow him or to believe in him. That's why Jesus always asks people, do you believe this? Do you believe me? Do you trust me? He can only ask. He can only invite. He cannot force. And Saul has to, when he becomes Paul, has to learn that that sometimes, even if in his mind it's the perfect plan and this is how it's supposed to be, for years it doesn't work when he's in Corinth. And he ends up working in a... I always love this. <laughs> he ends up working in a, in a camping store, basically, selling tents to people. And it's only years later that all after all his efforts, there's finally a little bit of a community that starts in Corinth. But uh, And then even then he has to write letters to remind them, you know, stay on track, stay on target, you know. <laughs> Don't mess it up now. Um, but you see this drive of all the apostles to, um, to never settle, but to always go out there and try to make contact with people. And then the Holy Spirit will start to work. And a lot of these early churches that the apostles founded, 
they start to grow by themselves. That is the natural course of the church. And if that is not happening, it's not because God has changed his mind or the Holy Spirit is no longer working. No, it's because we have forgotten that uh, that mission should be the heart of our activities. And we've become too complacent. And we sometimes come up with excuses why it's not our fault and why we don't have to change. No, the world has to change. You know, instead of waging culture wars, we should be Catholic transformers, you know? Catholics transform! (laughs) We turn from Pope mobiles into, I don't know, buses that bring people to Jesus. (laughs) Yeah, pretty lame metaphor, I know. But anyway, I I think that that challenge today is... um, not to wage war on people that don't share our values or our culture, but it is to transform the culture and to seek connection so that people will discover from their own volition, because faith should be based on free will, that it's worth being a part of that. And that's true also for young people. You know, there was um, a few few weeks ago... um, uh, a number of young people, most of them Protestant, from Protestant origin, wrote an open letter to all the church leaders. And in that letter, they launch a, a, a plea or an appeal to the church leaders saying, we are part of the 6% of young people that say that they believe in God. It's only 6%. Why is it that when we go to church, it's never about our questions and what we are uh, concerned with? Hello. Why, why don't you play our music? Why don't you speak our language? Why is everything you do for anyone but us? We want to be part of this church. So make us feel that we belong. And then they continue to formulate some of their priorities in that letter. And I don't know how representative it is, but it is a, it is a fact that young people look to the world in a different way from older people. Um, they have hopes and dreams and ideals. They worry much more about the environment and about war and about inequality in the world Because they know that they have to live in this world after we are no longer there. They know that their children deserve a better world than the world that we live in. And so they want the church to be part of that quest and to share their ideals. But do we truly do that? And so this this morning we we just talked about that sort of stuff and ended up with... um, I, I proposed them... Why don't we first write down the principles of this renewal, all the stuff that I just mentioned? This is what it's truly about. This is we want to be a church that grows because it helps people grow together and to grow in communion with God. That is the that is the mission. That's the vision and the mission. And here's what we we want to do. And so instead of, for instance, 
negotiating about the use of that square in front of the church, separate from everything else, it, if you integrate it in, this, in the function that that space could have for the realization of this vision, then I think you, you, you have much more chance that, um, that people will relate to that and will go along with that. I, th- I personally, it's a dream of mine, and I didn't know that I wasn't the only one who had that in their hearts because the three people that were there this morning agreed with me that they too were like, yeah, I don't understand why, why it's a parking lot. And I remember from when I was young that this, there, were, there were trees here. It was a lot greener than it's now. We are telling the world <laughs> that we are a, um, a green... Uh, how do you say that? A responsible community. We buy our coffee from uh, companies that pay their workers well. And so we, we are always talking about how we want to be virtuous and, and responsible. But at the same time in our communication, yes, I agree. We, we, we show we're just a parking lot. <laughs> Whereas we could communicate. We're we are a place of encounter, of beauty, where things can grow where plants and trees can grow and people can grow you know so so that is the integration of that and then once you've written down that vision you have to communicate it you have to tell people about the vision first before you you talk about the specific specific things that you want to do otherwise it will just be loose initiatives the vision if you have the vision and if that vision challenges people to change their mindset which is basically you don't really have to change things the first thing that needs to change is the way you look at yourself the way you look at your building and your end the premises and 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 once you have that vision then you will create you will generate energy um, and people will join that movement and if that doesn't happen then it's never going to happen in the sense that you cannot realize change if you don't spend first time on defreezing the situation, like a lot of churches and maybe also other institutions in our society are are frozen, um, and it feels comfortable because the cold didn't bother me anyway. <laughs> the first thing you need to do is to make sure that that you defreeze things, and then you can start moving. If you've ever tried to remove ice from your from your fridge from your uh, freezer the freezer part of your fridge uh it it you can you can actually cause damage because the ice is so strong so the best thing is to just take out all the food and let it sit there until it starts melting and then you can quite easily get rid of all that old ice that's creating all these crusts that sap away the energy and you can clean it and then you put all everything back in. Same thing with these big changes. If you don't first defreeze, you get people on board with this with this vision, and then then people will start to move, and you will be able to make the changes. Um, and then the the next the, the final phase is consolidation. Then you have to make sure that you somehow uh, formalize these wild ideas and all these experiments, and it has to become. Um, a bunch of habits maybe or rit- or 
or traditions or uh, there's always ins- the institutional phase of the church is something you cannot dispense from it's uh, what is often the mistake that i hear in people's thinking of like i don't need to church i can talk to god directly and then but the, the thing is we are humans and if we want to make sure that something will sub- will continue we need a certain degree of institutionalization even in our own life that is the case if you have you know new year's intentions um nine of ten nine out of ten times that fails because first of all we forgot to create a vision behind those intentions (laughs) like if your vision is i just want to lose weight um that's not all most of the time it's not going to be very successful but if your vision is i want to be healthy so i can be there for my children for my grandchildren i want to feel great every morning i want to be able to to uh step into a cold shower and feel amazing that becomes aspirational and that's what gives you the energy to make then make the changes in your life that will be conducive to that the realization of that vision and then once you've tried it maybe you know taking cold showers you're thinking yeah dude no <laughs> that's not for me god does not call me to that sacrifice that's fine but you can try other stuff maybe some some people say well i'll just go and eat a vegan diet and uh, i don't know eat so many things and and that may not appeal to everyone but what is important is for the for the um, to enhance the rate of success, you have to turn that into habits, into things that you do every morning, every day, every week. Getting fit is not like, oh, I'll get a subscription to my local gym and that's it, I'm done. No. <laughs> you have to go there every morning. It has to become part of your routine. You have to maybe go to bed earlier than the night before. So you have an hour in the morning before you go to work to go to that gym. Um, And so the institutionalization is what I would call the freezing, the refreezing phase where you make sure that um, this becomes part of what you do. Um, Hello. And, And so I proposed, well, let's start with six months where only once a month we organize something in this vein. And I don't know exactly what would be the best thing, but let's give ourselves half, half a year to try out some things and to first of all work on this change in mindset. Let's, let's train our communication. Can we, can we uh, be consistent in our vision? We maybe make a start with this... Like, if, if we want to reach this vision, this and this needs to change about the building, about the garden, about the, the, the parking lot. Give yourself time. Uh, and don't, don't tell yourself that everything has to work out right away. Um, thinking of, of St. Paul, it took him years. So why would it be different? I mean, it's fun if it immediately works, but it's not likely. So just give yourself time. After six months... Let's get together. Let's evaluate. See what we've learned. See what the feedback is. And then maybe plan another six months. And, and let's start with that. We don't have to do something every week. 
I'd rather do something once a month and do it really well and with everybody involved rather than spend all our energy in getting discouraged because we wanted to do this big thing every week and now after a couple of months it fell flat and we're discouraged and uh, yeah we don't want to we're just reverting to what we always did um and then after a year maybe maybe that's when we are ready or not to start to consolidate this and create something um that is part of, of the activities of this or the habits of this particular community. Um, it was a really good meeting and exciting. And while we were talking, um, I've, I, learned, I learned a lot myself. It's funny that sometimes by explaining these principles, um, I was also teaching myself. <laughs> and I was I was uh, applying this subconsciously also to my other initiatives. What I do should be bringing people together, help them. Um, I shouldn't be afraid to uh, to try out things. It's not a problem if something doesn't work. Uh, but there is also um, the vision should be important, and uh, ultimately. The consolidation of this. I'll um, I'll follow up on this. How I want to apply this to certain things uh, that I'm currently working on, that would go beyond the scope of this particular walk. So I'm gonna uh, wrap it up here. Thank you so much. I'm at the uh, Seltzer Kampwe, and it means I can go to the left or I can go to the right. If I go to the right, I'll go past the little where they have ice cream. And I think I am in dire need of a gelato right now. So that's where I'm going. Thanks for walking with me. I'll talk to you soon. Take care and God bless.